If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 17 this morning. Um, this morning, I'm gonna, we're going to finish our series on uh, the Jesus reality. This is, our, this is week six. And what we've been doing over the, the past few weeks are dealing with areas where Old Testament mentality is in, has been in our New Testament believing. And uh, in, in, in just the things that we, we, we believe, the things that are preached, even, the, even a lot of the music that we sing. And we have to be vigilant to stay where God has brought us. We have to be vigilant to, to keep the mentality alive in us that Jesus Christ changed everything. That he is the difference. See, the, what they looked for back in the day before Christ, they, they were pointing to the day that you're living at. They were prophesying about this day when the Redeemer would come. They were, they were wishing they could live in this day of grace. They were, they were wishing that they could, they could be, experience the, the redemption plan in their life. But you and I, we get it. We get it. We just, we're born on this side. We're born right into the realm of the grace of God, the dispensation of the grace of God. And, and, and we're, we're simply saved. We can approach God by one thing called faith. And when we put up our faith to God, his grace meets us there at our faith. And the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we understand that our salvation and our relationship with God comes by his grace coming to us and are freely receiving that grace by faith. That is, what is that grace? That Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again three days later from the dead. And whoever believes on him, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter what they've done, whoever believes on him will receive eternal life. That's the good news. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that in a nutshell. It's good news. I mean, it's, I, I still can't, I think about it and I still can't get over it. I think, you know, there are a lot of things in this world that are too good to be true, right? Amen. You look at the car commercial and they, 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 they show you how cool this car is and they show you all the features. But if you stop, if you pause your TV and you read the, the fine print, it tells you that the car that is shown is not matched the price that is shown. Right? Because if, if you try to get the price that was shown, then you show up the dealership, then you're going to get cranked down windows. Right? I mean, you're just going to get the bare minimum of, with the car. Mm-hmm. It sounds too good to be true because it is too good to be true. But the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is too good, and it's still true. Hallelujah. That's what's so great. We'll never, be, we'll never get over the goodness of God. We'll never, never, I'll, I'll just never recover from God's grace. Because where my sin abounded, his grace much more abounded. Hallelujah. And his grace teaches me that living this life, I can live a godly life. I can please him in all that I say and that I do. Oh, man, this is. This is so good. And Jesus brought all that. Jesus brought a new and living way. And we've talked about the things that have bound people up because I want to see you set free. I want to see you living in the realities of the promises of God every day of your life. Because they're there to obtain. They're not there to just look at and go, boy, that, that's neat. That would really be nice if I had something like that. Lord, if it be thy will. Hey, if it's in the word, it is his will. What he needs are people that will just believe it and receive it. That's what God's looking for. He's done everything that he can do. When Jesus said it is finished, it really was finished. Right? God did everything he could to get us into a right relationship with him. Jesus Christ opened that way. Hallelujah. And see, all those who believe on him, God comes and dwells in our hearts now. And now he is that very present help in time of need. He's there working in your life. He's always with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. He didn't just come and visit you once in a while. He came and moved in. He's always there. And, in, and with him, there's this anointing that teaches you all things. It is the power. It is the, it is the function to your Christianity. Hallelujah. All these wonderful things, all this, this, this richness of relationship with God, all brought by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said it like this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's one way, one access to the Father. Now, all men are going to face God. That's a fact. Everybody who's ever been born or whoever will be will stand before God and give an account of their lives. We will all do that. But only those, only those 
who put their faith in Jesus will go to the Father. It's different facing God the judge than facing God the Father. Jesus takes you all the way to the Father. Hallelujah. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, as many as will believe. Hallelujah. I love that. I love the gospel. And I love the church. And I want to see the church of the living God living in that reality that Jesus brought to us. So that's why we've been uncovering areas where people have found themselves bound up in religion and legalism and, and, and Old Testament way of thinking in this New Testament reality that we're living in. Like, like giving, get, bringing our tithes. Under the, under the law in the Old Testament, they had to pay their tithes. They were levied. They got, a, they, got a, they got a statement in the mail just like they got an electric bill and a gas bill. They got their tithe bill too. Forced to bring it. But see, we're not bound to give tithes and offerings or to pay tithes and offerings. We're free to give them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible teaches us in Hebrews that Jesus receives tithes. Hallelujah. Here mortal men receive them, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. And we, when we do that, when we bring our tithes and offerings, we are giving witness that we serve a resurrected Savior. Glory to God. And then also, also uh, we talked about the, the idea of the presence of God. That for so long, the presence of God abided in a little box in a little room behind a curtain. And that's it. And only one man, once a year, could go back behind that curtain and be in the same room with that little box. And he was the high priest, and he had to come with blood to atone for not only his sins, but the, the, not only the sins of the people, but also his own sins. Because he was a man, and he was a sinner just like everybody else. And that blood was the blood of bulls and goats, and he would pour it over that mercy seat, over the Ark of the Covenant, and God's wrath would be satisfied for one year. But it didn't do away. It didn't cleanse the people. It just covered the sin. But Jesus came with that new and living way, with his own blood, by his own self, with that blood of God and man mingled together, that perfect sacrifice came and wiped out our sin. Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. He didn't just cover it. He removed it from our lives. He broke its power to bind us. He broke its, that power of darkness that was keeping us so far and so alienated from God. We are on the outside, but praise God, by the blood of Jesus, we've all been brought near. Hallelujah. And now we all, as his children, have free access, bold access. As a matter of fact, that's the requirement that God gives us today. Come boldly before the throne of grace. That you may have, that's how the blood of Jesus, that's just how thoroughly holy you've been made. That's how thoroughly blameless and right with God you are that the blood of Jesus gives you this bold access right before the throne of grace. That high priest would go trembling because there's a very good chance he wouldn't even survive the event. If he didn't have everything right, if he didn't have his perfect suit on, if he didn't have everything in place, if he wasn't prayed up just right, if he forgot to confess one little sin, he would just drop dead in that presence. Everything had to be just perfect. But the perfect one came, hallelujah, and by that blood, we've all been perfected. Amen. Not by our works, but by his blood. Mm, thank God for the blood of Jesus. See, that's, that's the reality that we're living in today. And God speaks to us today, according to Hebrews chapter 1, through his son. And when God, when Jesus hung his head and died, the Bible says that that temple curtain, that veil that was between us and that most holy place was torn from top to bottom and God moved out and he moved into the hearts of those who would believe in him. So his presence isn't somewhere in a little box, in a little building somewhere, it's now in you. Amen. And there were great times. There were times when, when these men of the Old Testament would have great things happen, like Samson, you know, taking the jawbone of a donkey and killing a thousand Philistines. The Bible said the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him, and, and they would do these great feats in battle and wonderful things. But the Holy Spirit would come, and then he would leave because they were unregenerated men. He couldn't stay with them. But by Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit is with us and stays with us. So that way, you always have a power inside you. 
You always have that accessible power that's there, that resource of wisdom, that resource of help, that resource of strength, hallelujah, that's beyond your own ability, that's beyond your own education, hallelujah, that God is there, amen? So we, we've just talked about getting rid of those kinds of thinking that, that everything that God has for us is out here and understand that it's in us, that he's in us, Christ in us, yes. amen? Today, I want to just talk to you a little bit about the subject of praise and worship. And I did touch a little bit on this before, but I think it's important that we, do, that we talk about it today a little bit more, and then we'll, we'll finish the series. But I, I led worship for many years. I, probably ten, the first 10 years of my ministry were leading worship. I worked full-time in different churches and wrote worship songs and sang lots of worship songs. And just, I really enjoyed that time in my life of, of doing that. But as, as I was... I learned something along the way. And one, being uh, uh, my dad was the pastor, and so that's where I really cut my teeth in ministry, is that he told me it's very important what songs you're singing, son. So don't just pick any song out there just because it's labeled a praise or a worship song. It's important that we sing songs that glorify God. We sing songs that are scriptural, that are aligned with the word of God, so that the people of God can truly be worshiping the right way. All right? We don't just sing any old song just because it's got a catchy tune. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Somebody will be singing a song, you hear it on the radio, and for like a, the full day, you've got that stupid, annoying song in your head, and you're like, who started singing this? Why am I singing this dumb song? Right? But songs have the sticking power to them. There's a, I mean, you can, we go out of here, you go to lunch, you know, there's a good chance you'll forget everything I said today. But a song we sang this morning might be with you all week. That's the power of music, and God created music in that way. Hallelujah. So it's important, then, what we're singing, isn't it? Because how many of you know and remember that what you are saying, what is coming out of your mouth, is taking your life in that direction? But what's sad to me is that there's a lot of bad theology cloaked in pretty music. And the people of God are singing it. And we've got to get rid of this anything goes mentality just because it's on KLTY. Amen. I can remember the time when there was a song that came out. Now, I might offend you. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. I'm really not. But... There was a time when these worship songs, I mean, beautiful songs. A song came out, sang, uh, we sang called, I'm Desperate for You. I'm desperate for you. I mean, people cry. I'm desperate for you. I'm not desperate for God. I was desperate when I was dead in my sins, when I was lost. I was desperate. But how many of you know that when Jesus Christ saved you, he came to be with you forever? Oh, I long to see you, Heather. Oh, I long to see you. Oh, I wish we could be together. Right? But it's that, it's that mentality that continues to be in our New Testament reality today. That God is out there somewhere and his blessings and his favor are out there somewhere. We've got to attain them through various acts of service rather than understanding what Jesus has done for us today. There's also another song. <laughs> I might as well just pick on it for a little bit. Like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not saying these people are bad that wrote these songs. I think they were sincere But wrong. You know, you can be sincere and wrong at the same time. We call it being sincerely wrong. There's a song that we used to sing. Uh, uh, what? How'd that go? A song where you had to apologize to the Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. Uh, yeah, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Man, that song is beautiful. I just have said that song is one of the prettiest worship songs ever. I, I really believe that. Um, 
I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made. I remember singing that. Once I was up on the screen. I started saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made. What? What am I, so- what am I apologizing for? I don't even know what I This guy that wrote this song is making me apologize for something he did. <laughs> He's making all of us repent for something he did. But, and people just cry, oh, I'm sorry for the thing I've made. It. Oh, vague and ethereal. And... <sighs> Man, let's think about what we're saying here. I mean, if you are sorry, I mean, the thing you made it, well, yeah, yeah. That is kind of sad. People do turn a lot of those songs into me and I and me and I. Rather than lifting up. Oh, there are so many songs that we can sing about Jesus being lifted up and his name being greater than every other name. If we would just get focused on that, we wouldn't have time to sing about ourselves. And our, our rotten condition that we're in. And our lowly, humble estate that we are in. Just worshiping him. Glorifying him. Lifting him up. I'm grateful to be raised in the house of God. I'm grateful to have been raised in the church. The church saved my life. It really, it really did. It saved my life. I could just, even when my heart, even when I wanted to stray, I just couldn't go too long. Number one, I was scared to death of my dad. And number two, <laughs> number two, I, I, I knew I had already had some kind of relationship with God. And I just couldn't let myself go too far. Right? I was so scared to miss church, for one thing. Right? I mean, I mean, you're going to stray so far when you know you're going to have to be in church the next Sunday. You can only just go so far. Yeah, I'm being back in church. But the church was, it saved my life. It really did. And helped me grow in, the, in my relationship with God. But I've, in praise and worship, it's been wonderful to see the progress over time. Of where we've come to today. Well, that, by the way, worship team, that was fantastic. Jeremy, that was. Yeah. Yeah. Is this great having this guy here singing? Incredible. It's beautiful. Jeremy and Jessica are both here, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Really glad to have you. Um, and by the way, that's their anniversary today, too. And, and, and Mark and Mary Beth, that's why they came up here and, and read the scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, together. That's cool. Congratulations. And tomorrow, we'll be married 18 years. You lucky woman here. But the church that I was raised in, in southern Oklahoma, the great city of Thackerville, that is overshadowed by Windstar Casino now. <clears throat> Our little church called Victory Chapel is where I got called to preach, and I've told you guys that story. I knew, I knew God marked my life. I, don't even, I barely remember the day I got saved. don't even remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I felt like I've just always spoken in tongues. But I do remember the day God called me to preach. It was a powerful day. And we had been singing. We sang from a book. Anybody come from a church where you sang from a book? Right? We sang from a book. And uh, I appreciate those times. Don't appreciate all the songs we sang. But some of those songs marked my life. They really did. The song Amazing Grace. See, that song's so powerful because we all find commonality with that song. We all find God's grace is amazing. Right? But then there are these songs out there like, Hold the Fort, for I am coming. Right? Like God's just up there saying, just endure this hell just a little longer. I'm coming, hold the fort. Right? And a lot of those songs were just about enduring till the end. Right? Just in, right? No wonder they all wanted to go to heaven. No wonder, no wonder everybody just wanted to die and go to the sweet by and by. Right? Because that was the reality. Life's, if you're here, it's trouble and loathsome living. Lonely pilgrim walking the desert lands of the earth. Someday, though, everything is going to be good in the sweet by and by. And 
But, but there were some powerful songs. How Great Thou Art. Wow, what an incredible song. What a song that lifts up the spirit, you know. I mean, I love, I love those songs. I think they're wonderful. And over time, uh, you know, music has begun to, begun to, it has evolved over time. I'm going to, can I play a little bit for you? Eric, is it okay if I play your guitar? Yes. Thank you. Appreciate that. I don't think he really sounds like that. Hmm. Is this on? Can y'all hear that? Really? Okay, good. All right, so, um, so we, let's, let's just do that. Let's just sing, sing that. Amazing grace. Don't leave me up here by myself. How sweet the sound. That say a wretch like me. to Christ for the Nations. In 1976, my dad enrolled in school there. I was five years old. And um, man, we were open to a whole nother style of praise and worship. And we sang stuff like, never, never, never have I ever, ever, ever been so happy, happy, happy with my Wonderful. It was a wonderful time for us, you know, to not have to be singing out of the book, right? That's why they had so many words repeated so you could learn it quick, you know. Never, never, never have I ever, ever, you know, just let's just repeat those words. And everybody can pick up on that a little quicker. And then uh, we came back to Oklahoma and my dad taught our church, which shook things up a little bit, right? Oh, you mean we're not singing from the book? Yeah, well, we can do that too. But let's start, everybody try this course, you know, and they slowly came around. To you know, change to the change of it, and it's it's wonderful. And then when I, we moved out to West Texas, the big city, San Angelo, Texas, it's big compared to Thackerville. And they were doing this song. I remember the first Sunday we were there, and they were doing, "We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord." Remember that? We bring sacrifice. And they would do a whole medley. And like after they finished that song, they go, Oh, he's alive, alive, alive forever. My Jesus is alive, alive. What else can we do? He is the king. There we go. Of kings. He is the Lord. Of Lord. Right? You just go on. Hey, a lot of y'all know that song. Cool. Y'all were there too. And and uh, but then something, there was this cool change that took place. We went minor key. And then the charismatic two-step was born. Anybody here know how to charismatic two-step? Raise your hand. Good, you volunteer. Come up here. Let's show everybody how you charismatic two-step. Come on, let's do it. All right. Shane Burke, I got to have you up here. You and I used to do that together, man. Come up here. Come on, man. Hey, I'm going to do it playing the guitar. All right? We would do things like this. As David did in Jehovah's sight, I will dance with all my might before the King of Kings. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Let's give them a big hand. Thank you, Rachel. Right? Every song. 
feel sorry for the drummer. Boom chick, boom chick, boom chick. Every song. Let's see. Uh, I, I, I love the fact, one of the favorite songs of that time was a song called Blow a Trumpet. You remember that song? They rush on the city, they run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. They rush on the city, they run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before the army. The Lord, two courts, utters his voice. band members could not wait to hit those two punches because it's just one solid thing all the way through. So we waited for those, you know, those, all right. Sound the alarm. All right. So that was like a big song. You know what that song's about? Bugs. It's a scripture talking about the cockroaches, bugs coming, crawling all over the walls. And we made it a song to dance to in church. Deem anything. Anyway. And you know, the truth is, those are great times. I can remember as a, as a kid in youth, we would come up to the front of the church. Oh, it cares, man. We hold the ghost people, right? We get out of the seat. If, you got, if you're going to move that, you got to get out of the seat. And we'd make big circles in the front, and we'd do all these big dances, you know, in circles. And if everybody, if, if, boy, if the Holy Ghost hit somebody just right, like my Aunt Gertrude, she'd start what they call a Jericho march, right? And just march around the church. And we'd just go on and on. Then... And then I went to Christ for the Nations. And I grew up and went to Christ for the Nations and was exposed to a different style of music then. And it's been amazing to watch the progress over time. And I can remember when I just returned back, just graduated, and then this song came out that I think changed praise and worship forever. Are you ready? Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Celebrate Jesus. Y'all remember that one? All right. So, I mean, that was like, wow. There's some, wow, there's actual, you can, there's musical parts. Somebody just didn't write that with a song. I mean, they, they had band parts to it. It was amazing. And, and to, I mean, I wore that song completely out when I was leading worship. And, and, and just to watch all of these, this progression. And yet, man, the church, and there were some that just wouldn't go with it. There's something we wouldn't go with it. We're not leaving these sacred hymnals. Come hell or high water, we will die with our noses in these books. Right? Just elevate it right there with the, with the Bible. Right? But another generation is continuing to come up, ladies and gentlemen. And we have to be willing to embrace how the young people praise. And I'm convinced that we, have, that we need to follow them. Except for those who listen to rap. I will not listen, I will not follow, I won't follow them. But what an amazing thing it was when a little Australian girl named Darlene Check penned a song called Shout to the Lord. And to see what Hill songs like, you know, they're a monster. They've just taken over the world. And we do a lot of their songs here. But I'm, I'm amazed to see God's hand in all of it. That tells me something about God, that he's not stuck on a certain style of music. He has a message to bring. So whatever style of music it is, that's fine. It's all from him. Amen. But what's important is what message is being pronounced, sang with that song. So whether you find your inspiration in the old hymns or the old Jewish songs or what's going on right now, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just make sure that what you are giving yourself to, what you're allowing yourself to, to sing and to bless God with really actually does bless him and does line up with his truth. Amen? Amen. John chapter 4, turn over there for just a moment. I, have I read any scripture? Ooh, man, my dad would be clobbering me over the head right now. John chapter 4. I'm, I'm just going to quote Acts chapter 17 that says, In him we live 
and move and have our being. What Paul just taught us there is that our whole existence, everything about us, is wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, John chapter 4 is a very familiar story, and I won't belabor it. Let's just start in verse 4 right quick. It says, um, but he needed to go through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour or noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, which was true. A lot of prejudice there because the Jews did not consider the Samaritans their friends or they didn't want to acknowledge them because they were half-Jews. They actually had more respect for the Romans than they did the Samaritans. And so she's astounded. This is, she can't believe Jesus is even talking to her. Verse 10, Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? How many of you know the answer to that? What's the answer? Yeah, I created Jacob. I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock. See, they were children of Jacob. They could give, the, the Samaritans could show their lineage right up to Jacob too. And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him. Everybody say in him. In him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, this is what your relationship with God started. It started a healing, a change from the inside, and it comes out from there. Hallelujah. Men try to relate to God from the outside, looking at those hard stones. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. All ten, and they just couldn't do it. Because they, had, they tried to process it through the flesh and down into the spirit. How many of you know that ain't going to work like that? So God had to change us from the inside. Hallelujah. So that we could actually live in this relationship, so that we can actually live a godly life, so that we can have the power then to be who God called us to be and to do what God called us to do. And the, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. See, she, she did not want to be there at that well because she had to come at noon. The other women came at early morning, but because of her lifestyle, she was an outcast, so she had to come in the heat of the day. All right? Now look at this. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now he's going to start, he's going to start dealing with, with some issues here. Go call your husband. And come here. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And that's all the information she was willing to give him at that moment. So Jesus delved in a little deeper. You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, <clears throat> Getting the idea that you're a prophet. What a stark revelation. I mean, the, the, the gift of discernment is, is at work right now in this moment. I perceive that you are a prophet. But you know what? She did perceive him to be a prophet. And that's just it. That's the thing that astounds me about about. Jesus. Nobody else would take time for this woman. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. Jesus wanted everything to do with her. And he took this moment to deal with an issue. And when he started talking to her about things that she knew he didn't know about, she started seeing him in a different way. Not just an ordinary thirsty man sitting by the well, there was something special about this man. How is it that this woman who's so deep in the lifestyle of sin can perceive him, but yet the guys who go to church can't acknowledge that he's a prophet? 
Matter of fact, they call him a blasphemer. They call him a sinner. They call him all kinds of things. They can't even see who he really is. Matter of fact, Jesus said a prophet's not even welcome in his own country. But this woman who's lost in this sin can see him for who he is? But that's not a real big surprise because Jesus had it out with those Pharisees one time, more than once, but he had it out with them and he said, it's the traditions of men that make the word of God of no effect. It's your traditions that are choking out the word. Now the word of God is powerful. The Bible teaches us that it is powerful, it's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 uh, teaches us that, right? And at piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is, the word of God is so sharp and powerful that it can slice right through soul and spirit. It can make a distinction. It's amazing. But he taught these guys, the religious guys, he said, as powerful as that is, your traditions make it of no effect. Because you'd rather just keep your opinion... You'd rather, you'd rather do it because mama did it and because grandma did it rather than encounter God by receiving his word into your life. Because if, if you'll open up your eyes, if you'll just for a moment open yourself up to him and allow his word to penetrate, then you will have what you have been looking for. You will have what all that religious, all those gyrations and all those loopholes and all that stuff that you've been trying to accomplish, it'll all be accomplished by just receiving him. Because none of that adds up. I mean, you can go through all those motions, but it'll never get what Jesus can give you. It'll never give you what the word of God can give you. And so she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Now look at this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. All right, so she's saying, now listen, we have a sacred place too. We, the, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say it has to happen in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. How about that? Let me just undo all your religious thinking right now. The mountain ain't holy enough, and, the, and Jerusalem ain't going to be holy enough. So he's saying there's coming a time when worship won't have to be bound to a certain geographical location. Not that you can't worship there, but you won't be limited to that place. We all gathered here today and have lifted our voices and sang songs to the Lord and worshiped him. But ladies and gentlemen, you're not bound to only worship God here. Hallelujah. Even though you should, that's wonderful. But you, hallelujah, can go home and be in a place of worship. You can be sitting at that desk, at that job, in that office, in a place of worship. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is. 21, he says the hour is coming. Verse 23, he says the hour is coming and now is. Like God the Father whispered in his ear and says, that hour's here, right now. Jesus said, the hour's coming. Oh, it, it's here. Oh, I'm here. That's why it's here. Yes. Hallelujah. I am what we've been waiting for, you, what you've all been waiting for. Hallelujah. Now, look at this. When true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers. So he's making sure to tell us that there are true worshipers because there must be other kind of worshipers out there. Right? The word true here means that which has not only the name and resemblance, like the Pharisees, but the real nature corresponding to the name. Because he told the Pharisees, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. But the true worshiper is alive on the inside. His, his worship is real all the way down to his heart. Hallelujah. In every aspect, corresponding to the idea signified by the name, real, true, genuine. There's coming a time when the genuine, the real, the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. Not in mountain and Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, it says we must do this. We are obligated to worship our Father in spirit and truth. Well, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean, to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? I'm glad all of you came with that question today. It means 
I want to give you the literal text here on the first definition of this. It means we worship, we honor, and we revere God with a sincere mind and a true heart, not with mere external rites and rituals, right? So it's not all just about lifting the hands and clapping the hands and dancing and shouting. All those things are one. They're all expressions of praise, right? But it really has to do with what's here. Amen? It really has to do with what's here. Because what is here governs what comes out of here. Mm. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So God is way more interested in what's going on inside of you than what's going on on the outside. I mean, it's easy to come play church, right? It's easy to do all that. But he knows if he can get the inside right, he can get the outside right. So he's not looking for all that outward stuff. He doesn't want you and I to come here into this place and just simply do it because that's what we do in church, right? He wants us to have this drawing on the inside of us, this this calling on the inside of us, this answer to, I got to get to the house of God and worship him. Or wherever you are. But today you happen to be here. That God looks for us to long for him and to be. David said it like this. I used to go with the festive throng. Talking about going to the house of God. It's an exciting event. It's a glorious event because it's another opportunity to give God all the honor and praise. God is a spirit. What that means, Jesus just helped her right here. God is a spirit. That means God is everywhere. All right? He's everywhere. Let me just say it like this. But that reality that we talked about just before when God came to dwell inside of you, that is wherever you are, that's where God is. That's why wherever you go can be a sacred place of worship because you are the sacred place of worship. The Bible says you are a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So you're not bound to a location. You are the location. Hallelujah. So you lift up your hands and worship him and you bless his name because that's who you are. And, that's who, and he is inside of you receiving that. Now, I've got to finish with this, all right? Uh, the, the second meaning, now check this out. The second meaning of this in the literal text means we worship God when his divine influence affects, corrects, and elevates the temperament and disposition of our minds. Wow. It affects, corrects, and elevates the temperament or our attitude and the disposition of our minds. Wow. Is there anybody in here today that God's definitely, his influence has definitely affected your temperament, your attitude? Maybe he's working on it right now. We all have experienced that. His divine influence. Now, I like the way that says that. The definition it doesn't say that his force He's making this happen. He says he's influencing you because he honors your, your, your choice. He gave you that, that choice. He honors your choice, but he influences you in the right way. And when you receive that, then you will allow it to affect you, to correct you, and to elevate you. I love that word, elevate. See, that tells us that God wants us as his children to live a higher level of, of life. Amen. There is a higher standard for us. Amen. amen. There is a higher standard for us. I need a really good amen right there. Amen. amen. There is a higher standard. Yes. See, that, that inward change, that, that position you have in Christ ought to definitely affect your practice here on the earth. He has a higher standard for his own children. We, and because he, the Bible says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Now, when you allow his divine influence to affect and to correct and elevate your temperament, the disposition of your mind, then you are worshiping your heavenly Father. See, you worship him. Paul said it like this. Now, we beseech you, brethren, uh, uh, Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, right? So by the way we think and, and by the actions that we take, we show our worship to God. Your lifestyle has very much to do with your worship, all right? So we don't just sing a song to get into worship. We live the lifestyle of a worshiper, all right? Understand that we belong to him. We are his. 
I got one last thing to give you. Turn over to John chapter 12 right quick. Right quick. I'm hurrying, huh? John 12. In the very beginning, God set up a system of seed time and harvest. When he said, he made the pronouncement that the seed would produce after its kind, right? Whatever, uh, whatever that seed was, apple seeds are going to produce apples, and it's always going to do the same thing over and over again. Every seed will produce after its own kind. In John chapter 12, we see something really powerful. Stick with me here. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. All right. So there are these Greeks. Now these aren't Jews, right? And remember what Jesus already taught us on his ministry here. He said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? It's not right for me to throw the, 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 the healing, the, the children's bread to the dogs, right? So his ministry while he was here was to the Jews. Now he died for all of us, thank God. But his teachings and his ministry was for the Jews, the nation of Israel. And so these Greeks are on the outside. They said, we'd like to have an audience with Jesus. And so Philip goes and gets Andrew and says, what do we do? So they both approach Jesus together and say, these guys, these Greeks out here, they want to have a meeting with you. They want to see you, all right? I love this. In verse 23, Jesus answered them and said, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. What? No, there's some guys out here who want to see you. What are you talking about? Just go off into this soliloquy. What are you talking? Jesus, hello. The hour's coming when the Son of Man must be glorified. I didn't even acknowledge him, but ladies and gentlemen, he did acknowledge him. This is the answer right here. Watch this. When the Son of Man should be glorified. This is so good. Most assuredly, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces what? It produces much, but it produces the same thing. If that grain of wheat falls and dies, then when it dies, then it's going to produce much what? Wheat. It's going to produce much wheat. So, if, And Jesus is talking about himself. The son, of, the son of man is about to be glorified. And when the son of man goes into that ground, when he dies and he goes into that ground, and the moment he dies, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. This seed will not remain alone, but it is going to produce other sons. Hallelujah. This one only begotten son will now become the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. What he's telling those Greeks is, hold on, boys. This guy's got to die first. But when I die, you're going to see me all over the earth. Hallelujah. Sons sprouting up everywhere. You're not going to be able to go anywhere and not see Jesus. Hallelujah. Because right now, I can't come to you. It's not my ministry, but there's a time coming, hallelujah, when it, my ministry is going to cover the globe. Because when the seed goes into that ground, it produces after its kind. See, that's why you have to see who you are today, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus died. He was the seed of God. He was that seed of Abraham that the Bible talked about. And now you produce many sons. See, that's why the Bible says you're just like him now. God did not have a crop failure. If he made all the seeds produce just like them, I can guarantee you when he planted the greatest seed, Jesus Christ, he produced him all over here. I'm looking at a whole room full of sons of God today. You understand? Well, that's why you have to see that's how important it is to see what he's done for you. So you can live in that New Testament reality every day of your life without the hindrances of religion, without the hindrances of legalism, without the hindrances of, of, of sin. Because sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. That's good. 
And the scripture teaches us, as he is, so are we in this world. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Father God, you did the greatest thing when you sowed the greatest seed and produced a harvest of sons. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you at this moment, even now. We understand that who we are, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Lord, it's hard to understand it sometimes whenever we just get caught up in our own stuff. Get caught up in in life, get trapped in a sin, whatever it might be. And it's hard for us to see that sometimes. But God, help us to understand that and to receive that truth today that we are your emissaries in the earth. We are your voice. We are your hands. We are your feet here. We are the body of Christ. So that, God, that the hindrances of this world and the pressure that comes from the ideology and the philosophy of man would have no hold on us, that we would just be convinced and sold out to the truth that the word of God is what we're going to believe. And when we believe that, then that gives us the ability to live it. Hallelujah. Today, if you're here with us and you've not received Christ, you've never, you're not a part of the family of God because you've never surrendered your heart to him. You've never accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day. You've never received that free gift of salvation. Don't leave here. Don't leave here without doing that. It's this simple. Believe it. Believe he did it for you. Jesus said, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can leave here today with an assurance that God is your father and heaven is your home so that when the day comes, when you close your eyes in death, you'll wake up in heaven. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I want to I commit my life to Christ. That's me. Would you please pray for me? I just want you to just lift up your hand. Just, just by acknowledge, just acknowledge right now that you need God right where you are. You're here today. You're away from God. You don't know him. What, what about if you, if you do know him, but you're just away from him? You've been, you've been away from him. You've been living life like, like you don't belong to him. But today, you just need to repent and come back. Your, your heavenly father welcomes you. There's no condemnation here. I promise you, his grace is way greater than your sin. Way greater than your weakness. Way greater. Oh, you just need to receive the grace today. Allow it, allow its influence in your life. Are you here to slip up your hand? I'll pray for you too. Anybody here? All right. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.